Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm not quite sure where to begin, to be honest. I think there's one phrase that I think sums this up perfectly. Yeah. It's the hope that kills you. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? I had someone respond to me on Twitter. I apologise, I'm not quite sure who it was. Saying that, well, the difference between Ireland and Wales tonight was that Ireland had lots of hope and Wales didn't. And I think that was actually not the case. Um, Obviously, it was the case for Ireland. But from a worse perspective, that Australia game changed everything massively um because that was the best way to play in 10 years yeah and suddenly you went well we didn't play this well in 2019 and yes you can talk about how bad australia were but we've talked about this at length on the podcast and on the um channel as well but wales were so good and baited australia into so many errors it was really really strong and it gave you this thing of like oh if we can do that then you know gave you an exact blueprint of how to play how this team could play for years to come and i still think that can be the case um, I just think there's a lot that went wrong and a lot of the things that need to go right if you're going to play that style of rugby that didn't land and there were frustrations and there were all sorts of things that could have gone one way and went the other. And It's been, as as Welsh fans, an incredibly frustrating, incredibly just like emotionally devastating day, I think. Yeah. Uh, this is, for me, all-time top 10 worst Wales, most painful Wales losses, I'd say. Really? Okay. Um, I've already yeah. thought about it, to be I honest. mean, neither have I, but I know, like, I think the last time... It, well, no, the, the times I felt this shit previously were the, um, the, the Doolan try at the death in 2021 mm. and the uh south africa quarterfinal yeah you know a few years ago and like this this feels up there for me like it's not quite at those heights yeah. um but you know mm. this is night and day different to like south africa in 2015 last time we went out in the quarterfinals sure, sure. uh this is much worse i think yeah because there we felt like we'd overstretched anyway you know we yeah. kind of the goal was to get out of the group and we did that that was a bigger achievement than some of the semi-finals we've made around it yeah it's a weird one. I think it's weird reflecting on 2015 because I can't quite remember to the point exactly how I felt at the time. Mm. Eight years on, I don't feel as shitty about that yeah. as, for instance, yeah, 2019, where I felt at the time that that World Cup was ours for the taking. Yeah. And we lost deservingly yeah. to a Springboks team who executed their game plan better than ours on the day and then in the final and deservingly win. Well, they the executed their game plan in the last four minutes better. Yeah. And that was the difference. Like, yeah. Wales had about 75 minutes in them. With an extremely evenly matched game. Yeah. It, the game was incredibly even matched for 75 minutes and there was four yeah. minutes the Springboks being better. Yeah. And they won the game on the basis of the And here's minutes. the thing. In going into this World Cup, so on the basis of not just the one that's but like the Six Nations coming mm. in and then the whole PVAC era, mm. I didn't expect much. I didn't yeah. have high expectations. I kind of thought like, well, Wales could do well. Mm. But also, I don't like expect us to mm. make the final like I did last time or, you know, to win it like I did last time um, or necessarily even me- maybe make the semis like last time. Mm. Um, but that right now is completely irrelevant because... Yeah. Um, that Australia game happened and that mm. Fiji game where Wales were excellent happened and Wales topping the group 
with almost perfect points yeah. happened. And then suddenly you get hope. Yeah. And that's the worst thing you could have gotten. But that was at that it, point like, it was like, oh no, we can be this Argentina team. That game against England in the warm the first game against England suddenly set everything into gear for me because I Massively. saw the plan, I saw exactly what we're doing. I went like, okay, this oh, is Oh, we're it. playing Warren Ball again, I, are we? Yeah. Buy-in exactly, I know exactly what they're doing, I know how this feels, I know how this works. And the pool says they execute that flawlessly. Um, at points in the Fiji game, they threw it away and they weren't as accurate as they could have been. Mm-hmm. But they still did it well enough for the periods in which they were doing it. To and like Gatlin called game. it out at the end. Yeah, exactly. You know? And I think what happened today is akin to that, yeah. but in a very different way. Um, I think Wales were tactically spot on, I think tactically very good but they just weren't accurate enough for those tactics. Yeah. And it's the thing that that kind of Warren Ball approach demands is that you take your chances. Yeah, you back everything up. You yeah. Know? That if you kick it, you have to have a good defence yeah. to back that up. And yeah, if you make a kick to the corner, for example, from a penalty, you have to score from it. Yeah. You know, um, if you get an opportunity uh, around the 22, you have to take three yeah. points. All that sort of stuff. Because so the whole approach is basically built, the whole Wales game plan is built on hard work. Yeah. It's built on being the hardest working team in the competition, right? And Wales worked really bloody hard And taking hard jammy opportunities. But that's you know? it. But then once they got into positions from their hard work, they couldn't do anything with it. And they didn't even give themselves the opportunity to, I think. Yeah. Uh, the first half, I think this is the big point, is that Wales should have been outside by halftime. Yeah. And they weren't. Well, yeah, I think it's um, only fair that we talk about this game kind of with a chronology of some sort, yeah. because I think that's super important to it. First and foremost, um, if we were doing this on the retrospective mm. podcast that we do, which one day we'll get to this <laughs> in like 15 odd years time. Oh boy, I can't wait. Um, yep. One day we'll get to it. There are two things from early on in this game mm. that I think we'll talk about. Oh the yeah. The first of which being the disappearing numbers on the back of the whale shirts. Yeah. Which hadn't been happening in other games. It happened in one of the warm-up games. One, I think it was Jack Morgan's number peeled off a bit. Mm. Um, well, no, it was Aaron Wainwright. I think it had a number peeled off during one of the warm-ups. And you're like, what's going on here? And then during the World Cup, it hasn't been an issue. And suddenly it's back. Suddenly, oh, they're not back. The backs are empty. Different shirts today. And then came up for the second half, changed the shirts, completely fine. Yeah, but you saw in the first half, they had a shot of all these bags of, em- mm. of like spare shirts they like had. Like the kit man on the sideline yeah. with the, unzipping the bag. Like, do I bring them on now? Yeah. And what was weird, because I remember pointing that to you on the big screen mm. going like, they've got a big kit bag out, like, yeah. of, of match jerseys. What's happening here? Dan Bigger scores his try, kicks the conversion, mm. and then they all stop on halfway. Mm. Everyone stops on halfway, and something weird's happening. Yeah. The touch judge has been called in. They're stood in the middle of the field with the referee. And I'm thinking, a Wales about to change all of their jerseys because their jerseys aren't mm. match fit? That was what was going through my mind. I was thinking, oh, okay. th- they're all about to take their jerseys off and put a different yeah. one. Are we about to see a mid-game jersey change? Because I've never seen that before. And no, it was the other thing, the other notable weird thing to happen in this game, which I, as far as I can remember, I remember seeing once before in professional... Yeah, I think I've seen it three or four times, rugby, yeah. Which was Yako Piper, the referee, yeah. going off injured. Yeah. I th- first and foremost, I hope he's well. Yeah. Um, I think he must have done his hand. It was a leg injury, he was, yeah. He was limping was like, off. But that was it. There was a, a ruck in front of him and he kind of tripped over and clearly something went. Yeah, which is horrible to see. And yeah. You know, Yako Piper seems a good bloke and is a very good referee. Mm. So, um, real shame to have seen him go off hurt. Mm. Um, but then you had the weird thing of how much do they discuss 
who's the backup referee, you know? Yeah. Like, the one time I remember happening before an international was, I remember it was Roman Poit was refereeing England versus Scotland in the Six Nations mm. in around 2011, I would say, maybe 2012. Um, and Roman Poit went off injured and they subbed on the fourth official, yeah. who was like Christoph Berdas or someone, to take over refereeing, right? But this time, instead of the fourth official, given how high stakes the game mm. is, and that they deliberately seed these so they've got like a touch judge who is like one of the top mm. referees, you know, in in their books. And so Cole Dixon stepped up and took the referee the referee's yeah. whistle. And the moment where he gets the whistle out of his pocket, and you go like, oh, okay, so he's just the ref now. Yeah, and that's such a weird thing. But to that was the thing. I remember to. like I pointing out to you like because Pyfe went round and he shook both captains' hands, mm. and you were kind of like, what's going on here? And then they played it on the big screen, him tripping over. I remember pointing you like. Piper's injured. Yeah, like, yeah. Because as I say, I thought we were going to kit change, and then you pointed out, like, yeah. Piper's limping. Yeah. So Piper then goes off. Carl Dixon, as you say, like, you've noticed Carl Dixon on the sideline, you know, I'd taken note of the touch judges as it was going on, as that was being announced on the big screen. Um, and you go, well, so it's going to be Carl Dixon, because, you know, the other was Andre Priardi, who is a referee in his own right, but is not one of the referee no. on the panel for this referee World Cup. Referee the URC final, of course. Yeah. Um, but yes, he was in as a touch judge. Yeah, he's in. He's in as a touch judge, so they'll have to give it to Dixon because he's the only referee referee who has been available. refereeing this World Cup. Yeah, know? and it wasn't like that part one you mentioned. I remember happening to Wayne Barnes in a European Cup game once. Okay, um, and I feel like I've seen it another time. I have as well seen somewhere. it again. I think in a European but, Cup game or something. Um, the and then there was a there was one the other year where the referee got hit in the head. And he, it was a French referee, um, I forget who it was, mm-hmm. gets hit in the head um, and they have to pause the game for like 10 minutes while the ref, and he says like HIA for the ref. Um, and you have to have to pause the game for a moment, like while he gets himself sorted out. Wow, and they it. basically did a HIA on the ref um, for him getting hit in the head. But yeah, I've seen a handful of times. It's always happened late on in games when the tone's set. Mm. This was 13 minutes in, yeah. maybe 15 minutes in. It was in, you know, around that ballpark. And the thing is, obviously, we hate talking about referees, mm. but this is significant because this is uh, every team uh, at the highest international level does analysis on the referee yeah. and you know looks at that, and tr- which is why it's irrelevant to talk about referees. And yeah, like oh, they got away with murder at the breakdown because no, they know that they've this done research this on is, the referee, which is why they go for things at the why breakdown that they can get away with. This is the only time in maybe international rugby history in the history of the channel that I feel genuinely interested in talking about the refereeing mm. because it is completely different. Yeah. Right. Yako Piper and Carl Dixon are complete opposite end referees. Yeah. Right. Um, there was someone, I apologize. I, again, I don't remember who it was in the week, um, shared the statistic for the referees who are most likely to penalize an attack and most likely to penalize a defense. And Piper was I think second bottom for most likely to favour the defence. Like he was, you know, one of the favours the attack, gives most of the penalties to the team who were in possession at the time. Carl Dixon was the number one referee for most likely to favour a defence. So and least likely to favour an attack. For for context, you know, let's set the scene of that. Mm. So that might be that a tackler has made a tackle, yeah. um, has slightly released, but it's not massively clear, but it's enough for yeah. let's say Yako Piper uh, to then get on the ball, and then that would be Jacob rewarding. Piper gets on the ball himself. No, that's how he got injured. Yeah, he's going um, for the jackal. Let's say himself. then the jackal then go goes crazy. on the ball. Um, if they're rewarded with the holding on penalty, yeah. 
then that is favouring the defence. If they're not, if they're penalised for the no clear release, yeah. that's favouring the attack. Perhaps they're not that's extremely supporting their body weight. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe, you know, the attacking team. This is the thing that you look at those first 12 minutes, right? Yeah. Both teams are sealing off a hell of a lot. This yeah. is consistent across both sides. And Piper is pinging absolutely nobody for it. Yeah. Dixon takes over. And I think it, it took him about four minutes to avoid more penalties yeah. than Piper did in 13. That's it, because... Both teams know that Piper's not going to yeah. penalise that, so they're going to use their energy elsewhere. Exactly, exactly. And they're going, they're going to take that shortcut, the breakdown. And I do think it is the test of a world-class prop mm. or a world-class flanker that you can have the referee change mid-game yeah. and go, OK, I remember, I've had this guy before, I got away with this, I got pinged for this. Yeah. Let me think about that and formulate that into how we change that. So I remember when Piper went off, I mm. seeing both teams going into a huddle. And I'm. I would be fascinated to hear what the conversation was yeah. there. You know, like Tommy Rafael, for example, and even like Marcus Kramer, right? Yeah. Really experienced flankers, and again, like for all of the props and so on, going right. What is the deal with the new ref then? Because yeah. they've all had Carl Dixon referee them before. Um, you know, he's an extremely experienced referee uh, who has been around the block both at club level and international level. He's refereed all these players a thousand times. Right? They all know what he's like. And so it is just a case of throwing out the window what you've done in the, ref- the week to prepare for this and going back to the memory bank, you know? Yeah. Well, this is the thing, right? So Wales then really early in the second half sub Tommy Reffel yeah. because suddenly the breakdown interpretation doesn't favour them at all. Yeah. Right? Like, they were expecting, they picked Reffel instead of picking with a seven with Morgan moving over to six, instead of picking Dan Lydia or uh, Christianza at six because they were expecting a referee who allows a big contest for the breakdown yeah. and allows you to slow the ball down and sometimes jackal turnovers, but generally, you know, isn't incredibly hot on you and isn't incredibly pedantic at the breakdown, which is a feature of Carl Dixon's game. I don't mean it's a criticism. I just no, no, it's just no, like it's a just fact a fact. How he it's referees. just a fact. Like, and that's it's a completely different thing. You know, that's and not something that, like, bloody hampered whales. Like, yeah. that's, not, that's not what that is. It's just, like, um, you know, if anything, it's, it's a criticism of whales that... They need to adapt to that, you know. And it's easier said than done because this is so unprecedented. Um, but, I mean, credit, not to kind of stray too far away, but, like, credit to Argentina because, like, mm. I think it, they adapted to having a new referee on the field a lot better than Wales did. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. Warren Gatlin said post-game, uh, it really threw us off. Really? Okay. Yeah. He said, we were comfortable with Jaco Piper, the relationship we built with him, the relationship Jack had built with him, and in terms of con- the way he was controlling this game. It's nothing against Carl, but you do a lot of analysis on what referees tend to do. Mm. We were tough on and we picked the team according to that. It's the thing you're saying about Raffle. Um And what they're looking for. Because he did say during the week that the back row was picked specifically for this week and it would probably yeah. change next week, didn't he? Yeah. He said he'd pick horses for courses. Mm. Um, we hadn't really prepared for the change. Sometimes these things happen in games, though. It's weird because you can't like you can't blame it, but like obviously it threw them off. Yeah. And Argentina, I think, were going to play pretty consistently regardless. And there is an outside chance that everything Gatlin said there is bollocks, and he wouldn't have said it if they won the game. Right? That's entirely entirely. Yeah, but possible. I also I don't know if they would have asked him if they had won the game. Yeah, yeah it would have been a different exactly, thing, but exactly. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah, th- it's entirely possible that's just something he's saying. But I think for the first time ever, it's an interesting piece of discourse because mm. um, the point is. In rugby, it's pointless to talk about the refereeing because it's never going to change. Whereas today, it did change. You know, for today there was a reason why it's weird and different and stuff. Yeah. But, um, 
I want to part the referee in chat there because that was the, in- well, that was I the just, incident. Yeah, I think there's a like there's a few decisions that they go both ways in that game that would gone would be completely different with Piper. I think mm. that's a completely different game that changed. Like that game changed on a coin flip on sure. you know, an ankle, and like it's the it's the injury I think that's had the most impact on this World Cup so far. Mm, I think a team has gone out because someone got injured and it wasn't you know I'm not saying Wales would have won that game. Yeah, but I, I think, think that's unfair. I don't I don't mean to say Wales would have won that game. I just mean like that game is completely different to what it would have been and what mm. it could have been. Um, yeah, fascinating. I think um, I do think going oh bloody if we had the old ref we'd have been all right. Is literally as soon as the ref swapped, I thought like oh whoever loses this is going to say that that's going to be the take. But that was it. Like so straight afterwards, all the Argentine fans near us were really really complaining, and I was like, well they can't be saying both fa- both referees are biased against yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. And hey, look, I mean, yeah. Um, Whoever lost that game was always going to say some shit like that. Yeah, exactly. And as I say, like, it's not... I don't mean it in a point of, like, hashtag discourse. I just mean, like, I think it was a genuinely interesting thing that did genuinely... Yeah, yeah, because... Like, I've always said refereeing's a force majority you can't control, and that was, like, doubly so there. Has that ever happened at a Rebel Cup before? A referee going off injured? I don't know. So, um, James Stafford pulled up the stat that this is the fourth time Wales have ever had a match official change in the middle of a game. Ha- last time it happened was 2003. Fair play, James Stafford, pulling that stat out. Having that, way. yeah. Wh- I mean, How on earth do you pull it out midway through an intense quarterfinal? Genuinely extraordinary to have that on hand. Yeah. But anyway, I think we should talk about the rugby because, uh, again, that was just an interesting thing that happened. That but, yeah, no, but I do, think, I do think it affects how Wales play um, and it affects particularly how Argentina play. But a lot of that first half, right, and you can point to the refereeing thing being, again, a force majority can't control it, changes an awful lot. But also it was the point I was getting on to before we kind of went down that rabbit hole. Sure. Was Wales had plenty of chances that they gave themselves in that first half, yeah. but they were complete control of the game. Yeah. They were kicking incredibly accurately. Um, they were, you know, physical and defending well, and they were getting on top, and they got out to a 10-0 lead, and frankly they should have been out of sight by half time yeah um wales had and this is the thing right ryan elias was selected over dewey lake and over elliot d who've both been playing incredibly well because he's the best line out for away in wales because he's the best option we have at line out and he overthrew three line outs in around the 22 yeah and suddenly i mean one of them wainwright regathers then there's a holding on penalty that again i think piper would have let go i think it's the sort of thing piper's very but the thing is, right, I think the penalty bigger kicked a few minutes beforehand. I think Piper would have given that the other way around. Sure. I just think, like, these things balance themselves out. Yeah, yeah. Um, But, and all that speculation regardless. Yeah, it but doesn't the, matter. The point, the point is only the line, the free line-up throw overthrows. I think it was, like, two out of five where was his line-up success in that first half. Um, maybe, you know, in that ballpark at least. And they were overthrows. It yeah. was Elias wobbling. Yeah. And that is something you can't afford yeah. because I reckon, right, the way Wales were playing in that first half, they would have scored at least kind of, you know, three points from at least two maybe of those three chances from yeah. the way Wales have played in this World Cup. And when they've got the tails up, when they've been good and when they've been going forward, they've generally scored more points and they've just scored them quite comfortably, easily. You know, they've happily eked out penalties or they've taken drop goals in the case against Australia. And Bigger would have been very happy doing that. And I think suddenly, if that's 16 or even 13 nil, um, 
that's a different game. That's a different yeah, game. Definitely. And suddenly, are Argentina kicking the points quite comfortably to put them back within it? Where if it's, or are they trying to force things? Yeah, yeah. if it's 16 nil when Buffelli's given that first shot at goal between yeah. the posts, is he taking that or are they trying to tap that and run and that? And in games where Argentina fall far behind, mm. with Santiago Carreras at 10, forcing things is like, that's what they do. Yeah. That is the thing that they do. Also, credit to Carreras, like, yeah. being much more composed than I probably realised he could. He's the most I've seen a Michael Checker team kick. Yeah, yeah. And, like, he was willing to kick when he was near the 22 mm. and pull out ballsy moves like that. And I do respect that, you know. But, like, you're right. Like, Wales, from about minute 8 or 9 through to about 28 or 29, mm. were on top completely mm. in attack and in defence. And it felt like we are the dominant side here. Yeah. We should win this quarterfinal. But, as you say, as soon as that period was coming to an end I think you could smell Argentina were going to have a flurry of their own mm. like coming up I didn't realise that flurry would last sort of 45-50 minutes but Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you look back up and went, oh no, the score's 10 nil, mm. rather than, like, I think it's fair to say, and we're discussing this on the way home, Wales probably should have got, I reckon, 16, 17 points yeah. out of that. Uh, that period, and then been able to coast with something like the, that Thomas Williams try yeah. or a jammy drop goal or penalty or two in the second half. Yeah. I mean, there's the initial decision to not be kicking the points on halfway, mm. which, look, if Dan Bigger didn't feel it because he was clearly carrying an injury for most of that game, yeah. he clearly was not okay. He was kind of hobbling. And Liam Williams could barely kick. walk for most of yeah. that, and it was kind of suicidal to keep him on as long as they did. Um but, you know, you had some initial decision-making, and anyway, the accuracy only got there, that it just felt a bit like things hadn't quite worked. Yeah. It felt a bit warm-up gamey at times for Wales, um, where you're like, well, we'll put it right when it matters. And you're like, no, this is this is the game where it matters, lads. Yeah. This is this is the big one. Um, yeah. And I think the same applies to those injuries, that a lot of them would have been dragged off yeah. a lot earlier, if not for the fact that it's literally the biggest game of these lads' lives, yeah. uh, or at least of the last four years. But... Yeah, those Elias overthrows that you refer to were the moments that they didn't feel like turning points as yeah. such at the time, but they felt like, oh, that's no, a waste I, opportunity. There was one waste, in particular that did to me. But the point, point is that we wasted those opportunities and then, um, as I say, less so than turning points, it was just a point of neutralising Wales's moments of dominance the third one which was inside the 22 i believe it's the third one anyway inside the 22 like 50 minutes out from the line i 
that got over for and I turned to you and said this is ominous mm. I just like had the sudden like vision of Argentina winning the game Yeah, um, I just felt like that's gone like I felt like we needed to score more points in that period because yeah. you say you knew that Floey was coming yeah because um, like, Wales' discipline was so good in that 20 minute period and you knew that couldn't that physically yeah. couldn't be the case all game against such a massive pack who loved to and play pace the thing is right Warren Ball, when it works successfully, those games fall into two categories. One is games where Wales build a lead early, like happened against Australia, and the other team starts to get frustrated and they start to become, you know, looser and looser and they try to panic and they start to give things away and they just start to blow up in their face. The other are those kind of rope-a-dope games like we saw against England repeatedly. We saw, you know, points against Fiji. Um, we saw, uh, you know, like South Africa quarterfinal four years ago. We've seen, you know, even when Wales reverted back to it last year against South Africa in the two tests in the summer. Um, and in the third test, they went PVAC ball and won, you know, whatever. Um, those are either games where yeah, Wales build a lead early on and they keep adding to it and frustrating the opposition. Yeah. Or it's really even and really tense and the opposition is frustrated by the fact they're not doing more and then they start to give Wales opportunities. Yeah. What we saw instead was the opposite, where Wales were putting themselves in positions to take these opportunities instead of frustrating themselves by not taking them. And it's kind of a perfect recipe for nothing. And the moment you've, you're blowing a third attacking line out, suddenly the team's heads start to drop and you start to feel yeah. frustrated in a way that, you know, if that space out over 80 minutes, that's fine. When that's in condensed to like seven or eight minutes, because yeah. it probably was. Yeah. And that's really different. We as Welsh fans have seen that happen to Ryan Lance mm. before and it take him a while to build that yeah. back up you know and but, when he's on good form like it's perfect but it does take one game but, for him to fall apart yeah the whole thing about Warren Ball right is it is as we say work built on hard work and that requires emotional accuracy yeah it does and suddenly if you're physically inaccurate or you know skill wise inaccurate that starts to affect and eat at your confidence and the moment Argentina scored their first three pointer you kind of thought like Ooh, God, you knew like, there was another one coming. It's disproportionate. Yeah. And the moment they get the second, that then felt bad. Yeah. And that was on the stroke of half time. Josh yeah. Adams does that really stupid. Which is just, push. Push. just silly. Um, just yeah. silly. Um, and just completely needless. And it yeah. just felt like those are two things that are really dumb that have now shrunk the gap mm. from being a two score lead to four points. And, you know, just the line out and. A couple of cheap shots, you know, that were just completely needless mm. and really, really frustrating. And at half time, we kind of spoke to each other and said, like, you take this lead. Obviously, yeah. you take a lead at half time against Argentina. Um, but I'm so glad it's half time because they've got all the momentum yeah. and we just needed literally anything to kill it. Like, sub the ref again to, mm. you know, kill a momentum. You know, bloody Piper's ready to come back on or just anything to just stop the game for a few minutes to to yeah because Argentina were just going to score more and more mm. points if there was five more minutes that half Argentina would have gone on ahead yeah or at least as happened immediately afterwards score enough penalty yeah because I think that was the moment I in my heart felt like Wales were going to lose yeah was Argentina kicking that penalty go within one point yeah again because it's like and we had an opportunity to regain that momentum and to make this half didn't happen didn't happen didn't happen and that is because of Argentina that was like their chase on that kickoff basically won them the game I think there's a few moments that really swung things in Argentina's favour some of them were inflicted by Wales a lot of them most of them were inflicted by Argentina and that chase on the kickoff I apologise I'm not sure who it was we've only seen the game live from seat in the corner right next to 
Jamie Robertson is thinning hair, um, watching on the TV. Jamie Robertson spent a lot of that game on his phone, by the way. Yeah, um, of course. We should mention that, actually, that we were sat next to the RTV box. Yeah. And so we had Mark Pogach, George Grieg, and Jamie Roberts, and Gareth Thomas, who for some reason they still have on television, yes. all stood next to us. And also we saw the um, S4C, S4C coverage and with, the ESPN South America. Yes. So we saw Juan Martin Hernandez, who looks wonderful, by the way. Incredible. Very handsome Really suit Like... One of the few people that really suits a suit better oh, than a yeah. rugby kit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he looks yeah. incredible in a suit. Yeah, I'd Good love to him. see him play fly off in a suit. Oh, like, mate, that is the dream. Yeah, and his fancy shoes. Oh, yeah. Sean Lilly Crap never put, never put a jacket on. Good honour. Yeah. Good honour. Big up and to Sean And didn't smile once. No. Sean <laughs> is absolute nails. Yeah, Jamie Roberts spent half the game on his phone. Yeah. Just looking at his phone. Uh, and you know what? Second half, don't blame him. No. Um, also, like, from above... Boy, is his hair thinning rapidly. And also... And look, I can't talk. Mine's receding at an awful rate, but... Big lad, Jamie Roberts. Yeah, he's, yeah, And also, right. like, Mike Phillips, we saw yeah. alongside Sarah Elgin and Robin McBride. And well, maybe he's just very small. Sean yeah. Yeah, but anyway, that, that was all the pundits that we saw. And mm. it was funny occasionally looking over to them and kind of going like, oh, yeah, what's going on over there, chaps? Um, I made a point of looking over at George Gregan before the kickoff when those guys were going, okay, we're going to do a slow clap, and on the first one you say rug, and on the second one you say B. Rug! B! Like, I didn't like that when it was for Wales-Portugal, yeah. right? And what was the other game in Nice we saw? Uruguay... Uh, Uruguay... Namibia. Um, Namibia. Namibia, yeah. yeah. Well, they did this rug, B, like Icelandic clap. Didn't like it then. For quarterfinal, I couldn't be less in the mood. We're not here to just go, oh, rugby. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine doing that in the Football World Cup, going, foot, foot ball, ball, foot. When it's like, you know, you know the majority of the crowd for Wales Portugal there for a laugh and a kick or whatever. Yeah. Right, you know for the quarterfinal, people are there because it's it fucking bloody matters. Intense. Like, yeah, this is like the biggest, most intense 80 minutes of people's life for four years. And you made the point on the way into the stadium that we didn't hear any Welsh people singing on the no. way. Whereas no. for all of the group games we have, yeah. you know, we've got on the tram, we've got on the bus, whatever, and it's been full to the brim. Calonlan, you know, and just... I spent last night learning Calonlan. Didn't hear it once sung. Lord of Bread of Heaven, which yeah. is fine. I know that one already. Mm. Bloody couldn't do Calonlan beside the one line. But... Yeah, there was, it, it was all the Argentines singing yeah. before the game. Um, and, like, I had to tune it out today, but yeah. I've said it before. The Argentine fans are incredible. Yeah, they've been great. Seeing them all jumping up and down before kickoff and stuff, I was like, I cannot like you today. Yeah. I would, uh, any other day, I would point at that and go, that's fucking amazing. Whereas today, I'm like, no, you are no. my enemy. And the team bus went past us, and they were jumping up and down and singing and screaming. And also, I will say... Um, that was the best version of my, a lot of my fathers that we've had so far yep. in this tournament. And Argentina still outdid us on the anthem oh, battle. Yeah. This is the bit, the Argentine crowd was so much louder. They were I unbelievable. Think, I think there might have been slightly more Welsh I think so. fans there. Certainly where we were sat. Yeah. But no, I think because like, there was there were sort of two big blocks of Welsh fans and there were two big yeah. blocks of Argentine fans. And I think the dotted in amongst them, they looked like there's more yeah, red shirts. Definitely, um, definitely. But there was a lot of England fans there. There's a lot of like neutral French folks The Argentines there. brought it though, but didn't that's they? That's the thing. Like They're all so loud. They were all in perfect unison where you had points where you had like one group of Welsh fans chanting Wales, Wales, and others doing Bread of Heaven. And it all sort of clashed and it didn't feel like there was quite harmony there where the Argentines were just getting up on singing one of their two songs over and over again because yeah. they saved the third one back when they won and you know what oh, it's 
bloody good. Um, like, I, I always think back to, and this is going to be weird, and I'm going to slightly stray mm. off topic here, but I remember when I was, like, 16, seeing a clip that was, like, recommended for me sure. like on YouTube of Oasis playing in Argentina and then playing, like, Acquiesce or whatever, and the crowd all singing the riff, like, louder than any other crowd would sing the actual yeah. words, and just going, like, oh, cool. In Argent- Argentina, like, clearly they love their live music and so on. And, yeah. Like, whatever. Um, and every single time I've seen, like, a video of, like, Argentines reacting to, whether it's music or sport mm. or whatever, they just... I just think in crowd, crowd yeah. situations, they just know how to generate an atmosphere inherently. And I think it's know- a general South American thing yeah. as well as that. But the amount of, like bands i follow on twitter who go like oh we can't wait to come back to you argentina like clearly just yeah in crowd situations they know how to make positive noise yes do you know the best way to identify an argentine fan if you put them all in neutral shirts right yeah you can tell instantly which one's the argentine fan because they do that thing with their arms what thing i've never seen anyone else do it but they bend their arms in a different way to everyone else oh really like argentine fans and they'll put both arms out and they're like they'll bend at the elbows instead of but like inwards to outwards rather than... It's really hard to describe in a podcast, but there's okay. a very particular way of moving their arms. Fascinating. Watch for this, right? And anyone else who ends up going to the semifinals next week or whatever, you can tell. Like, you know, if if you're trying to like move your arms, like generate atmosphere, whatever, like generally European fans will go like up and down, up and down. Whereas Argentine fans do like in and out and they let the hands like wave free. It's really specific. And How I've never seen anyone isn't South American do that. And it looks really weird to my like blinkered european sensibility of what an arm should move like <laughs> it, it it's like looking at like a chair if your knee bends the wrong way and you're like wait no the joint isn't supposed to be there the way they do that but yeah and it's like i can't quite describe it or do it myself yeah. because i wasn't born in santiago which is in <laughs> chile but that doesn't matter yeah i wasn't born anyway, in la plata point being the fact that they sing the riff to their national anthem is Mate, bad man yeah yeah it's very good um, is the, the I point, love it. right? Oh, God. Great fans. But yeah, today, look, obviously, we had to tune that out. And this, like, them at the final whistle, like, I wanted to be happy for them. No, I didn't. I didn't want no, to be happy oh, for God, them. Because no. obviously, it wasn't good for my brain. But if I watch this game back in 10 years' time, I'll look at that and go, like, oh, I'm happy for those guys. Yeah. You know, because they were incredible. And seeing all of the Argentine players going to the sideline, like, jumping up and down and, like, you know, dancing with them was just. I would say euphoric, but it yeah. wasn't to me personally. It was objectively euphoric. I think what we saw today, right, was the limitations of Warren Ball, which we've seen yeah. in all the other games as being incredibly positive. Yeah. Um, we've seen the positives, which is, you know, if you're on it, it is near impossible to beat. You know, it's, <laughs> it doesn't mean the opposition is going to lose, but it makes it really, really hard for them to win. Yeah. And... That's what Wales have been. Wales have just been almost impossible to beat. And just one of the most difficult to beat teams out there. Um, in a way that I think the All Blacks next week, I think would have had a more difficult time for Wales than the will of Argentina. Yeah. Though Argentina may still make the final, so who knows? Because I think there's a good chance the All Blacks have kind of played their final already. I could see um, that happening. But that's a conversation for another time. I can time. definitely see Argentina but, going up another gear. But yes, you're right, that's a conversation yeah, for another time. I think... Argentina, it's a really, really interesting one because I think they're a very good team who deserve to win, absolutely. Um, but, like, the thing is, Warren Ball, right, if your team isn't confident, if your team isn't emotionally right, it makes it really, really hard 
for you to get anything right. Yeah. And the moment where we start to blow their opportunities in the first half, it starts to eat away at it. The moment Argentina starts to take their opportunities, end of the first half and start of the second, suddenly these all begin to just give way. Yeah. Um, and then once the momentum changes, right, like I described Warren Ball in the video we put out last week as like playing to a really stiff breeze. Yeah. Like it's like you're playing to the world's strongest wind is playing against Warren Ball. And the thing is, right, Argentina have Buffelli and he can kick through the wind, can't he? Yeah, yeah. This thing. So whenever we've talked about Warren Ball, um, I think we've both, and just mm. generally anybody who's into this, um, describes it as an extremely emotional yeah. way of playing. And that's what I think is the most admirable thing about how Argentina played this game. Yeah. Because they emotionally sucked the life out of Wales yeah. bit by bit yeah. and completely, like, block by block, knocked them down until they had nothing left. And that was it, right? Like, as another team who play incredibly emotional rugby, hence why Michael Checker works for them. Yeah. But Wales make a couple of errors that are self-inflicted and they pounce on it, you know? Yeah, they're like, bloody-minded as. They go from Wales over for a line-out, Wayne Wright regathers it, and he gets pinged for holding on, right? They turn that into three points down the other end. Yeah, that's going to mentally crush, you know, that's like, Wayne Wright, yeah. Elias... Um, and looking back on it, right, that know, was Argentina's first points of the game, and it put them seven points down still. Yeah. But it was kind of the moment they won the game. I know what you mean, though. Like, it was the most crushing emotional moment. That was... And the thing is, right, I think this Wales team were better than they would have been if they still had Reese Webb, if they still had uh, Alan Wynne Jones, if they still had, um, you know, Corey Hill. Yeah, um, Justin Timberick. And I think they could have done with Justin Timberick. Sure. But um, given the Farto injury, yeah. yeah. But right, those players have a great deal of experience, and we saw Dan Bigger in the second half go a bit into Dan Bigger control freak mode, and he went ballistic a few yeah. times, which can go one of two ways. Because I think there are so many times, such as the England game in 2015, mm. where you see Dan Bigger go into that mode, and you just go, "Great, he's going to just guide us yeah. to victory now. He's just going to win this game." Um, whereas Argentina were really switched on to that. Mm. You know, as I say, they weren't trying to just break through the walls that Wales had built up. They were just taking bricks off yeah. the top. They were just taking one off the top one by one and just seeing if but, Wales could put them back on there at a quicker speed. This is the only game of this World Cup, or including the warm-up games as well, where I feel like Wales have missed Alan Wynne-Jones. Okay. I think if he could have come off the bench and just settled things down yeah. and just talking with like, no, I've been in this situation, it'll be okay. We're only one point, you know, there's a one point margin here or only two points behind. That is such a different game. And having a guy like that to come on and talk to you and have that experience to deal with that situation. That is it. Instead, like... right, you've got Jack Morgan, who had Captain Wales in the 20s a handful of times, but, you know, hadn't been in this situation before. Yeah. Um, and your other lead option is... Dewey Lake, right? Yeah. Who again, Captain Woods in the 20s, to a win over New Zealand, but they won't have that late penalty in the last And like, he's been two on the minutes. pitch eight minutes. Exactly, yeah. You don't have someone who's really been around the block and done it, yeah. right? And you look at the times in which they have done it, this, this team, the times in which players in this side have gone on and won tight games from difficult positions, you're basically looking at two games for the Ospreys this year, and in both cases, they had Alan Wynne Jones and Justin Tipperick playing 80 minutes. Yeah. And there's a couple of times, you know, maybe last year on South Africa for a few of these players in that second test. Again, they had Justin Tipperick, they had Talupe Falatel, they had Alan Wynne-Jones. Wales didn't have that level of experience. And yes, you can point to they had Liam Williams, who had 100 cap or has 90-odd caps. Um, 
you, they had George North has 100 caps, they had Dan Bigger had 100 caps, right? Dan Bigger is the only one of those that is a kind of talkative leader yeah. captaincy option. Who you can essentially swing a whole game on. Yeah. You know? And the thing is, when he's limping, and when he's also trying to manage the game and run the game, he can't be coming in and doing the big speech. And the he loves being a one-man pack. team, but yeah. not when he only has half of his body working. You know? So I feel Wales were missing a player to just settle him down in the pack. Yeah, I agree with that. And also, like, Bigger is obviously a great leader, but he is erratic as hell. Yeah. You know, that is his almost selling point yeah. as a fly half, is that he's... He does lose his head, you yeah, know? Uh, but keeps at the same time. I don't know it's a weird one. It's hard, but to like, try, but I don't know. I think it's the only time Wales have missed those players, yeah. And I think it was only from a kind of game management point of view rather than from a playing point of view. Yeah. Here's the thing: when, whenever Wales didn't have the ball for kind of most of the first half and kind of a lot of the mm. well, not a lot of, but a bit of the second half, I felt extremely comfortable. Like, oh yeah, Wales are defenders, Wales yeah. are defenders, and then the Joel Salvi try, try happened, and it's like, oh no. That is again. That's more emotional than anything. It's like this unbreakable Welsh defence they pride themselves on. They build the whole game plan around has been breached. You mm. know, somebody's found a way through it. And what now? We're losing on the scoreboard. We can't just rely on this. Yeah. You know? And there's almost panic in the crowd, which is a that's such a weird moment as well. Yeah. Because it's such a. We probably have to talk about the thing. Um, let's keep it let's, minimal. Yeah, I'm not. We don't have to talk a great deal. Um, obviously we haven't got a good view of it because we're watching it from the big screen on the stadium. Yeah. That looked incredibly dodgy to me. Carl Dixon has a history of ignoring high tackles or not giving cards for high tackles and high shots and so on. And it does make you very dubious. I haven't watched it back, haven't seen it back because, you know, it's a clip of the Rugby World Cup, so obviously it isn't being shared around anywhere. Um, and just as well when it is an incident like that, it'll just blow up. But it felt very dodgy to me. Uh, if it was another referee, I would have trusted it. Since it's Carl Dixon, there's a bit of me genuinely like I think it was another referee. I'd have just gone, okay, fine. They've made a you know they've made the decision. It's probably correct, and I've trusted. Apparently, it. it was Yonkers' call rather yeah. than Dixon's. But, but I, I just don't know like, enough about this. To this is the thing, right? Like I have seen Carl Dixon on at least half a dozen occasions ignore high shots and high tackles and you know dangerous clearouts and just blown play on. And to me. And I think to a lot of fans, he has a reputation as the referee that ignores this and doesn't put player safety first. And that was the thing going through my head that entire time. And every time there's been a high shot in a game, Carl Dixon's refereeing, I assume he's going to let it go. And he did. And here's the thing, right? I think most referees in this World Cup give that as a penalty. And from that position, I think Wales go on and win the game. I think Wales clear the ball up to halfway. They probably kick down the other end. And suddenly they're still five points ahead. That is a different game. However, I don't think you can say that is why Wales lost the game. No. I think it's a factor. I think there's maybe eight or nine moments, and if they go differently, Wales win that game, um, and they're never in the position for... But the you point know. is they didn't, right? Well, exactly. They're never in the position where Costello throws that pass, trying to overplay in the last play, sure. in order to get downfield, and sure. everything else. And obviously the margin looks ugly at the end, but I think there are yeah eight or nine moments, most of them in the first half, when Wales are in control of the game, they didn't take. Yeah. Um, and that is, Wales, that is that is one of eight or nine moments. Yeah, and I think it's... All of them were either on Wales or there were things easy because it stopped from Argentina. Yeah. Um, and one of them was a force majeure moment where the referee didn't make a call that I think most referees in this tournament would have made or most TMOs in this tournament would have made. And... It's frustrating from a Welsh point of view. It's frustrating from a player safety point of view and worrying from a player safety point of view. But ultimately, I don't think it's why Wales lost the yeah, game. I, was I say, think it's still fundamentally lazy to blame the referee. Exactly, when, exactly. You know, you're saying it's you know maybe I'm, one tenth of the reasons why. I'm Wales... not blaming the referee. Yeah. I'm just saying I think if that penalty is given, it's a different game. 
Um, and I don't mean that as criticism of the referee. I think it's fine, whatever. If there is criticism, it's, you know, a, a, a whole other issue. Uh, Gatlin said afterwards, it would be interesting to hear what the panel has to say on that and whether there's a sighting. And if there is a sighting, I will go ape shit. Uh, for five minutes, then I'll move on. <laughs> I um, don't care to comment on the incident itself because I didn't get a good view of it yeah. from where we were. Um, uh, but what was fascinating is when H, uh, the Tompkins, when Tompkins went off for his HIA, mm. Dan Bigger turned to the referee and going like, you fucked him, like, look at his head, he's gone off for his head, you care about his fucking brain? Which was just funny Pointed seeing Dan his head. Bigger, like, you know, just yeah. going into control freak mode over absolutely everything. I love that you put in a slightly Irish accent there because you just assumed it was Johnny Sexton. <laughs> Uh, yes, look, Dan Bigger would love to be compared yeah. to Johnny Sexton, as always. But yeah, Argentina then keep to it. Wales hold them out twice. Yeah, um, There's a really stupid penalty worth giveaway, but also I'm kind of all for it, because I think what they needed to do was just hold on. Um, yeah, and, and just distance themselves from yeah. the frustration of the incident of something not going their way. Yeah. Um, you know, rightfully or wrongly. Um, because that is, you know, Dan Bigger getting caught up on that is not helpful to Wales's yeah. cause, you know. Well, the interesting Especially thing with is... Costello just coming on to play in the centres. You know? Yeah. He needs to be raising him, and in defence especially, you know, on their own five-metre line. Because that is a really daunting thing for a, what, 22-year-old on fly half? 22-year-old, yeah. Coming on in a position he's not played internationally before, has barely played at club level before, where it is the most def- one of the most defensively tricky positions and physical positions to play in, you yeah. know, with... With Matthias Moroni as his opposite man, who is extremely direct in attack. Like, that is an extremely daunting thing to happen to Costello in the biggest game of his life so far. The interesting thing when Gatlin was asked about the Petty incident, the Petty shoulder, um, was he mentions, like, you know, into the sighting, whatever. He then says the thing about the, the Scalvi try, right? Which is that he felt. And he said, like, the whole team felt, he said, we felt, Dylan Lewis was on the ball for a significant period of time and should be given a turnover penalty, right, directly beforehand. Let but this go, no, Warren. No, 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 because this is the interesting thing, because when you look at that then, and, like, this is one of the few clubs I have seen, is that uh, that try, and Wales kind of switch off because they go, oh, we've won the turnover here. Oh, I did see Thomas Williams celebrate. Yeah. And then, yeah. And, like, I had him, and then instantly, Argentina popped over to Scalvi, and he just falls yeah. over, like, suddenly it's a really soft tackle. Which is on Wales. Response. That's on Wales. Right, this is the thing. That's on Wales because they've got to play to the whistle. Yeah. And the referee doesn't give you that. And again, there's a change in referee, whatever. Maybe you've got to then change your ref- expectations. You've had half time now yeah, to adjust exactly to that. Yeah, exactly, to discuss that. Yeah, and you you've should, got to play Gatlin to the whistle. shouldn't be saying, oh, bloody, that should have gone the other way. Oh, well, he wasn't saying that should have gone the other way. He didn't oh, say okay. that should have gone the other way. He or just said... Thought that could have gone I'll the other read way. the exact quote. This is in front of me. Um... We felt Dylan Lewis was on the ball for a significant period of time before he end, they ended up scoring that try. Sometimes those things happen in the game and they can swing things. We definitely reacted the wrong way to that. It's just the way it is. Oh, okay, yeah, fair enough. Fair he brought enough. it up as like because as an incident that affected the score. I was going to say, because if they were going back into training on Monday, Mike Forshaw would absolutely bollock them for that. As he should, as he should regardless. As he should, yeah. But yeah, anyway, that's uh, that, that try was the moment they just crushed Wales. And at that point, everything felt so forced from there on out yeah. and trying to just get something. Obviously, Thomas Williams scored that try, at which point you thought, like, oh, there's a chance the, we can sneak this. Really interesting thing is, though, like, when Thomas Williams scored that try, I was screaming for them to kick a drop goal because I just thought that attack was going yeah, nowhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I literally said, nowhere. now's the one to do a drop yeah. goal on the phase Thomas Williams scored, which was hilarious. Which was luck. That yeah. try is luck and it is jamming it is. us all hell. It is. But as we were saying earlier, if they had, yeah, like, let's say mm. six more points... You could rely on a lucky try. Yeah. Because that's going to happen. Yeah. You know, in a quarterfinal or whatever. If you're a good enough team to get there, you're going to get something that's lucky yeah. or jammy. And they did. Yeah. And they still lost. Yeah. 
And this is the thing, right? Wales then have another couple of chances in the 22. I think they have two more chances in the 22 after that. And both times they're woeful. Yeah. Both times they set up and they look to play phases. And then both times you can tell they've gone backwards and they keep trying to play. Mm. And against Australia, they were so clinical and so tight and so clean. And they took those drop goals and they looked for three points and they didn't overplay and they kept it tight when they had to. They would just keep it in the middle of the field rather than needing to go out wide and needing to do whatever else and you saw them just throwing suicidal passes all the time or trying to play when it was no longer on and there's just like a lacking i think and this got worse when costello took over at 10 when you know bigger moved into either 13 or fullback i couldn't quite tell from i think he was just staying away from the contact yeah he could and just changing positions all the time um but when costello took over i think we start to overplay a bit more I think Costello is still a young 10 and he's perhaps not as au fait on trends in international rugby and the way these things yeah, change and yeah. momentum and so on. And he's far more used to changing things himself. Yeah. And we haven't quite seen that. Yeah. Costello is extremely hardworking, I hear, from yeah. the likes of Gatland um, and the likes oh. of Dwayne Peel and that he's apparently really coachable and has applied himself really, really well. And like, here's the thing, right? Like the, those glad glad documented the WOU was putting out, he is so impressive in those when he's giving seminars on kicking tactics and stuff. Which is great. Yeah. And And really promising for the 10 he will be in a few years. I've had a couple of conversations with his uncle who's talked about how, like, when he was first got into the Scarlet Squad, when he was first playing for the 20s, and then when he first made the Welsh Squad, and every time he was like, his head's just completely on the ground, like he isn't getting carried away at all. We're being very sensible with him. Really good. Um, Yeah, and just making sure that he he isn't caught up in the hype because yeah. I think I know I <laughs> we've lost a lot of tens to that in yeah past and backs generally yeah and I think Sam Costello needs time massively uh, and he needs massively. work and here's the thing obviously Sam Costello throws that pass to mm. Nico Sanchez for mm. the try as soon as that happened literally as soon as the pass went into Sanchez's hands my head dropped into my hands I literally yeah. haven't seen him ground the ball I haven't seen that but um, people will blame Costello for the pass there, mm. but actually the error was calling that move in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Wales had run that move like three or four times where the, the nine looped around and they play extremely flat to the line to try and create uh, an overlap like within a short space. So it means mm. you're flat and it means you're already on the line break if it is well executed. Nico Sanchez is one of the smartest fly halves that rugby's produced in the last 15 years. Yeah. Right, He has spent the first half watching that on the sideline and watching Wales do that and knowing how to counteract it. Yeah. So, of course, when they call it, he sees, okay, Casella's flattened up and he's got Tompkins running the short line off him. I know exactly where this is going, yeah. you know? And he picks off that pass pretty much, like, almost before it leaves Costello's hands. Mm. Like, the, the ball is barely in the air when he snatches at it. But this is the thing, right? There are, at that point, what, like, six minutes to go? Yeah. And... Costello is pulling an all-or-nothing move from the last play. He is. is. He's pulling the we-need-five-points-right-now-it's-the-final-play move. And actually, he just needs a little bit of composure and go, actually, no, we need three points, and we need it sometime in the next six minutes. Yeah, we've got a bit of time. Yeah, I think you're right. He's probably slightly overestimated how long, or how short, rather, six minutes is in a quarterfinal, which, don't get me wrong, again, it, it's not much, yeah, but it is. <laughs> it's the weird thing about this Welsh team, though, that they're both full of experienced players, but they're so naive, a lot of the players yeah. are so green, a lot of them, like, the players that aren't experienced are so inexperienced, mm. and because the other thing is, right, because the bloody WU haven't been investing in the regions, because the regions are being run on budgets smaller than 
a lot of the teams in the French third division, mm. we're in a situation where, I mean, so Costello got to play in a couple of, you know, cham- Challenge Cup knockout games last year. Yeah. They're the only times he's played anything remotely close to this intensity. Yeah. Right? Where the Irish players are playing week in, week out in big games. They're playing in big European games all the time. Yeah, for sure. The... I was thinking, if Wales had made the semi-finals, right? You know where I think this whole thing begins? This generation of Welsh players begins, really, for me. Go on. Um, the Ospreys played a game against Edinburgh last year. Um, it was about 18 months ago now, early last year. Start of the Six Nations window, like week before the Six Nations began in 2020, yeah, 2022. And it was a few weeks after Ethan Phillips had fallen off his motorbike and awesome. lost his leg. Yeah. Horrible. Like, was one of the form players, looked well in line for a cap. Um, oh, mate, should have already had a cap. Yeah. A few, a few caps by then. Um, Pivac. Yeah. Um, but the one then, player he didn't pick. For yeah, had a reason. horrible motorcycle accident and, yeah, ended up losing one of his legs and obviously retired on the spot. Um, and the Ospreys played a game against Edinburgh, who at the time were top of the league, on his birthday. Mm. and they had him in the changing room they had him run out before the game or you know come out in the wheelchair before the game um and they kind of themed the whole day as being around him and edinburgh got out to quite a big lead and then the ospreys who for the first time like jack morgan ended up taking the captaincy during that game quite early on because tipperick went off uh well tipperick wasn't there yeah but jack morgan ended up captaining the ospreys for i think for the first time um and Dewey lake was playing and basically like the core of a lot of this like welsh squad was there and they came back and they won and Toby Booth, the Osprey's coach, afterwards cried and said, like, we did this for free fan and we knew we had to put performance in for him and we built everything around, you know, this kid and making sure we stood up for him. And Jack Morgan afterwards, who was player of the match in it, said, like, no, like, we needed to build this as a team. And, like, there was a real sense of that identity that I think the Osprey's have then since lent into and you saw those wins over Montpellier and Leicester came from that spirit and I think mm. those come from them doing that there and he did it again against Ulster a couple of weeks later. Oh, no, Munster, Munster as well. Um, and those those wins, those games built into that Ospreys team that then, you know, those two key players become the two key players in this Welsh team, become the two co-captains. And there's a kind of very clear DNA, I think, of that. That thing Toby Booth talked about, like the real working class spirit and wanting to stand up for your mates and fight for them. And Wales have played like that this this tournament. And I think there was something that was a real um, shame about the fact that that started to seep away as the confidence started to go. And you started to feel like everyone was panicking and they hadn't been in these situations before because suddenly they needed to win this game and it wasn't a case of let's fight harder for our friends. It was a case of what do we do and how do we call this? Yeah. And it's all well and good for Jack Morgan and Dewey Lake to have been in that situation once or twice in league games, right? Sam Costello has really, he had a game against Claremont where uh, he put a lovely pass in for Carwin to Blotti to score. But, like, that was from five metres out in the corner, you know, in order to score at the end. The key decision makers in this team haven't been in those situations. Yeah. Um, and there's, like, a slow growing of an identity there happening at club and regional level. But because the regions aren't being invested in, because the regions aren't being allowed to grow, and because, you know, it's something the WA finally addressing and trying to create this, um, is it EPC or whatever they're calling it? This kind of middle ground between the regions of the Welsh Prem. Um, hopefully that will allow these players to come through and play better standards of rugby in order to feed up, filter sure. up to the regional team and then to the international team. Because um, it's not just Sam Costello, it's whoever's the next 
Sam yeah. Costello, you know. Yeah, Dan it's, Edwards or whoever. Yeah, Dan through. Edwards or someone like that who's the under twenties fly half for context for Wales. Um it is it's people like that to give to make sure that they can then play well for the Scarlets yeah. and accelerate their development a little bit. Yeah. Um because Sam Costello is completely redundant for us to talk about the future because Wales are at the World Cup. But um, but, you know, also there's a Six Nations to come. And he's going to be in the deep end years. now yeah. because Dan Bigger is retired mm. and Gareth Anscombe is, at least his international career is on hold, if not finished. Yeah. Um, and same with Reese Patchell, you know. So Sam Costello is going to need to go in the deep end and it's probably what's best for him. Yeah. You know, it probably is what's best for him that he is the starter, he's not coming off the bench, that he's full of confidence, that he is given as much responsibility as humanly possible. With that, I think... Um, We'll, talk, we'll put a finishing touches on Argentina in, in a little bit. Mm. Let's just quickly talk about Dan Bigger. Yeah. I because think. he came off with about five minutes to go and got a standing ovation from the Welsh fans. Uh, a very nervous standing ovation where it's like, shit, we don't want to be giving his last applause yeah. because we want to come back and win this and to play again yeah. next week. But that might weird, be the last it? time it was a really we weird Bigger play for Wales. Um, but... It was like a, not a cheer, because that's like an admission that you've lost. Yeah. But like, stand up, clap him, sit back down and get on with the job. Yeah. But yeah, that was a weird moment. But we've seen Dan Bigger play for Wales for the last time. I know. We were there for his first cap as well. Yeah. And there for his last one. It feels weird because he's the first player probably where I can remember it like, oh yeah, this young lad, bring with confidence, chip on his shoulder. Mm. And now he's just like retired on his own terms. Yeah. Yeah, genuinely, that was the thing that upset me most in this game. When really? we got to full time, the thing that really hurt was I never see Dan Bigger play for Wales again. Yeah, like I thought we were going to get another couple of weeks, and we'd at least get one big, like significant win. And we didn't even get that with the um, Australia game because he went off injured after ten yeah. minutes. And we didn't get a big final send off of Dan Bigger. I guess you can argue the Fiji game was that where he was man of the match and very deservedly so. I thought he was the best player on the pitch that day. Yeah, but agreed. I don't know, man. It hurt, and like here's the it thing. just feels weird. The, so my first Ospreys game that I went to uh, was Ospreys versus Saracens in 2008. I was dragged along, uh, largely against my will, and off the bench came for his debut that day a young Mr. Daniel Reese bigger um, who played his first game for the Ospreys that day. His debut, his first game of professional rugby, was my first like non-Wales game being dragged along. I'd watched Wales, I'd taken interest in Wales, I'd started like you know growing interest in rugby. And, you know, we're showing an Ospreys there and like like a like a baby goose fell in love and decided they were my team from there on out. Um, and Dan Bigger was, you know, a big part of that. And that was his first game there. And then, as you say, we were there for his first cap a few months later. And I've kind of seen him grow into this shirt. And I was thinking mm. earlier today about, I remember us missing Wales playing Canada in um, 2009 during the Lions tour. I mean, yeah. I was not seeing that. Cause we were in Malaga Yeah, we were yeah. in Spain. We were on the flight back. And we couldn't watch it. There was no way to watch it at the time. You know, it was before, you know, smartphones with internet and bloody all, all of that. Or, you know, the, the first iPhone had just come out and there wasn't and Wi-Fi we didn't everywhere. have it, guess what? Yeah. Um, but I remember looking at the teletext page afterwards and, like, looking at the report and being like, oh, Dan Bigger won us that game. Like, wow. Because I was like, oh, he's just some young kid who's, you know, whatever. And it was like, Dan Bigger won us the game on his own. That's amazing. Um and then watching for the Ospreys really kick on the following season and take the starting shirt and really build as a player and grow. And he had a period of being a massive dickhead and you started to sour on him, but he always like, put thing. it right and changed. Bef- and Before you finish this heartfelt mm. tribute to him, which I do want to hear the rest of, um, I just, but I do, no. but like, um, I, I'll just quickly chip in my mm. two cents there because 
the period of him being a dickhead is kind of the bit I remember best, or the thing surrounding yeah. that, because he was—he arguably still is a massive dickhead sure, to a lot but... of um, people, and you would not be wrong to think that. But I think he's a dickhead in a kind of charismatic, mm. competitive way, rather than the way he used to be a dickhead. Because he used to be a dickhead, man. The other like, thing is, like, he was a dickhead on and off the field, and yeah. now I think and he's like, just, just on teammates the field. Yeah. And so on. Like, he is, by he all was... accounts, the loveliest, warmest man, and I've never met him. I've never had the, 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 the honour, the privilege. But, yeah, he was the just, like, he was, loveliest he was man, like, by all accounts. He was, like, vermin Nowadays. back then, though. Yeah. Like, there was the clip of him scoring a try against the Dragons, where he mm. goes and deliberately puts the ball down in the furthest corner, like Carlos Spencer. Tommy Bird goes up and bollocks him for As does Marty Holler. Uh, as does Marty Holler, and he misses the conversion. Um, and he used to do stuff like that all the time yeah. and just get in fights and be really, really immature, right? And when he wasn't selected in the 2011 training squad, mm. ahead, because Jason Tovey was picked ahead of him, uh, Jason Tovey would never won a cap, I remember thinking, like, good, I'm so glad that Gatland isn't giving to his bollocks because it's just he's not that good a player, damn mm. bigger. Uh, he's really immature, he needs to grow up, whatever. And he did. Mm. Like, two years later, he, you know, got back in the Wales team. Uh, not even two years later, about that six autumn, months that later. Autumn. Yeah. And this was the thing. I remember during the 2011 World Cup, tuning in to watch the Osprey's first game of the season, and I forget who it was. I think it was Edinburgh again. It was um, Edinburgh, yeah. yeah. And they played and, Leinster as well at home. Yeah. Beat them. And I remember they, they had this younger team where they had Reese Webb and Dan Bigger as the halfbacks. I remember Hannah Dirksen was playing. Yeah, they had Ashley Beck, who had a blinder, who'd just come in as a you know young centre. This is so uninteresting to not No, but this but... was like, the, genuinely, the, this is a really important point, I think, in Dan Bigger's career. Because suddenly, during that campaign, he changed. Yeah. And he started he changing his game. To be he mature. Yeah. He leader. matured both as a player, as a leader, and as a person. And he started to change entirely. He developed more of an all-round game. He was yeah. pretty much just a kicking fly off when he came through. He was kind of in the Wilkinson mould and he started to round himself out. He started to do that thing. He'd, remember that break Dan Biggie used to make all the time? He'd put his head down and just go... And he'd really he'd aggressively hold the ball in two hands. Yeah. Like, oh, look at me. I'm holding the ball in two hands. I'm attacking now. Yeah, and weird. he started to like, develop more of an all-round game and he started to change an awful lot. And like the Ospreys brought in a rule where like you could only wear coloured boots if you had so many caps or played so many games with the Ospreys. And like apparently he was a big part in like leading that cultural change and stuff and like starting to be like, no, actually I need, you know, I recognise I need to change things. Yeah. And he really did. And he helped kickstart them winning the league unexpectedly. Yeah. You know, out in Leinster, he kicked the winner from there. And at that point, I swallowed my pride and I was like, I'm happy for this kid. And that was it. He like, deserves this. By He's this world's point, first just fly off now. By that point, I, I'd come completely over the course of that season, round on him. Yeah. And just like, Me too. Because he'd come through and like, I was a really big fan of him initially. Then you had that period in where the, the phrase was always, he's a very confident young man. Yeah, but it was hard to stick um, up for him for a while, right? Yeah. But then like, by, over like, that course of that season, over the course of that World Cup, when Wales were obviously doing incredibly well and you know, the semi-final and the Sam Warburton incident and everything. But like, I was so invested in that Ospreys team and I mm. loved them. And they got better and better. And then they grow to the point in which, you know, after the Six Nations, they go on and, yeah, as you say, he's instrumental and... And I didn't want to like him, and then I ended up liking mm. him, and I ended up loving him, loving him, you know? And he kicks that goal to win the league out in Leinster, and that is still one of my most watched rugby moments of all time, one yeah. of my favourite rugby moments of We've all time. We've still got it on the planner at home. Da yeah. Saved. Damn, ten years later, Dan Bigger knocking over that kick in the corner from Shane's try, his last game for the Ospreys, his last touch for the Ospreys. Um, and he just became, I think... From there, once again, like an incredibly special player to me. Yeah. He was my favourite player for a very long time. Um, I always had this kind of like ongoing, I felt like telekinetic 
connection to him and i felt like if i was properly running through my routine when he was taking a kick in my head my mental routine he would get it and i felt like i had like a 95 percent accuracy in that happening like if i threw him so like the kick he missed today i was tying my shoelaces again because he'd come undone and i think that threw him off i think that was like the whole thing there's been this has been ongoing for a very long time uh, and i'm sorry if during the northampton era and i missed a few of the games if that was why his accuracy shot down but and that's a period of him and Reese Ware being like a really great halfback combination the Ospreys and just being like these two like iconic Welsh players like an iconic Welsh halfback combo at the time and he just came to mean a lot man and then you build up to the 2015 World Cup where he really comes of age and obviously he'd been the only player from that starting 15 that won the Six Nations in 2013 that didn't go on the Lions tour and I remember being really pissed off about that at the time because I was such a big damn bigger stan and from there he builds up to that 2015 World Cup, where he is unbelievable against England, puts in one of the great Welsh fly half performances, and he becomes a completely new type of addition to that endless list. The Benny and Barry, the Cliffy and Jiffy, the Neil, the Stevo, and then there's Dan Bigger. Then Dan Bigger follows along on that line. And it's the really kind of remarkable thing is how different a player he is, and he was very much himself. He wasn't in the model of any of those. And he was looked at Johnny Wilkinson as his hero, as his idol. But there was something of that. But there was also, you know, a really unique player because he was much like, you know, the, the players he'd idolised. Like, he matured as a person. He became a better person. He became a more rounded person. And you saw that growth reflect in his game and reflect in the way he played the game. And he spoke to his teammates. He spoke after games. And he he approached everything very differently. Um, and it's the thing he, he, on full time, apparently, went over to Sam Costello and said, like, make sure you enjoy the next few years of leading this team. And he said that he, in his post-match interview, said that he just didn't enjoy the first few years of playing for Wales because he was just so focused and so driven. And he didn't give him a chance to enjoy any of it. And he wished he had now that he's coming to the end of it. Or well, he has come to the end of it. Um... And I just think, like, I'll, Justin Tipperick was one of my all-time favourite players, and losing him w- was, was you know, not easy. Uh, and obviously he's still playing for the Ospreys, which is great, and, you know, get to enjoy and cherish him a bit there. But yeah, damn bigger. Like, I didn't realise until today how much it had hit me when he'd go. And when he announced his retirement, because he talked about it last year beforehand on a he did an uh, interview with BBC Northampton when he left Northampton. He said, I'm going to retire after the World Cup from internationals. And then he announced it properly on his Daily Mail piece. And it felt fair enough. Yeah, you know, and I just felt like, yeah, of course it. he is, you know, fine. But, yeah, it wasn't until today where it kind of hit me. Like, no, like, Dan Big has really mattered to me as a mm. Wales fan growing up in this era, growing up in this period, and falling in love with rugby during the period where he was first coming through. And I'm going to miss him. I'm going to miss him an awful lot. Yeah. Always preferred Priestland, to be honest. <laughs> dickhead (laughs) Um, no yeah that was very nice that was very nice Um, yeah it's going to be weird Dan Bigger not being in the squad or like available for the squad or talked about as oh he's injured or whatever how are we going to win games yeah every game in the last like 20 years that Wales have won has come because Dan Bigger went into fidden mode mate Dan Edwards has got to happen that's how it's going to happen yeah when one Dan falls and then must rise look so Wales are out of the World Cup yeah um, that's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is Argentina are into the semi-finals. I think that's the more important way of looking at it. That's the objective way of looking at sure. it. Sure. Um, 
so before I kind of ask my follow-up question, yes or no, Argentina deserved semi-finalists on the basis of their entire World Cup rather than just the Wales game today? Um, I mean, on the basis of the entire World Cup, no. But also, they won a quarter-final. Yeah. When it has mattered, Argentina have played their best. Yeah. Right? So the Japan game was the best performance of the tournament. This was second. Yeah. And the second half in particular, they got better and better the more and more it mattered. Yeah. And that is kind of the hallmark of good Argentine teams down the years. You know, they haven't necessarily been consistent. Like, you look at the 2017, which is maybe the best team they've ever had, or the 2015 team, they weren't consistent. They were all over the place in the year coming in. And then when it mattered, they pulled it out of the bag. That 2015 team, right? Completely different week between the quarterfinal and semifinal. Oh, yeah. Like, completely different team. But. In the moments where it mattered, they bloody smashed Ireland in yeah. that game because they were incredibly accurate. They were fun to watch and they did what they had to do. Yeah. And I think this Argentina team isn't necessarily one of the all-time great Argentina teams. And yet they deserve to be there. You know, if you were to reflect on like, are they one of the four best teams in this tournament so far? No, of course they're not. No, they're not. Do they deserve to be in the semi-final? Yeah, of course yeah, they bloody yeah, absolutely. do. absolutely. I think... You say that they're not one of the best Argentina teams of all time, and I agree with you. Like, on paper, certainly mm. not. But although, that said, they do probably have more world-class players than they maybe have before, yeah. which is weird, depending on your definition of world-class. But um, they are better at winning big moments than perhaps any Argentina team I've ever seen yeah. before. You know, you have, so, like, Montoya is a test match animal, you know. You have, like, Matera's obviously not played today. Mm. And they've done this without him. That's really important to stress, actually. They've done this without Matera. They've had Issa yeah. come in. Gonzalez and Kramer on the flanks were both fantastic today. I think that was Gonzalez's best performance of this World Cup so yeah. far. Uh, because he's been relatively quiet, I, but today played very well. I think this is something that this Welsh and this Argentine team have in common. But it feels far more relevant for Argentinians today. Which is, they have grown up watching Argentina be successful in World Cups. Yeah. Right. And so the 2017 were like, well, we've never done this before. And it was a big step and it was exciting and it was, you know, brand new. And they'd had the team obviously in 87. Nothing to lose, right? In the 80s. Yeah, exactly. Even though this game was in Marseille, which is still a shithole, by the way. Yeah, um, it is. So, yeah, they'd had like the team in the 80s with Hugo Porter and so on, who'd obviously been great to watch. And they pushed teams very hard, but they hadn't performed at World Cups. And then that team with, you know, Hernandez and with Gus Picho and the rest of them, you know, that incredible Lobby, front row. Abacete, um, yeah. All of them came through and they pushed on and that was their career highlight was they, mm. you know, the 2007 World Cup. And a lot of them, you know, the likes of Picho, that was their last hurrah. And they built towards that and then they did it. They bloody did the thing they dreamt of. They mm. got out the group and then they won the quarterfinal and they got into the semifinals. And that was amazing. This team all grew up watching it on TV, and then they saw it in 2015, and Argentina have only been out in the group once since then, which was obviously 2019, where you know they fell against France Massively to a late-drop goal. Yeah, they were a late-drop yeah. goal off getting out of that group. Yeah. And that, it, or, you know, Buffelli had a chance to win it at the end, and Buffelli absolutely lost his mind <laughs> at the end yeah. of this game. And deservedly so, when he had the pressure of that hanging over him, and now he's gone two steps better. So good on him. Buffelli but, deserved man the match, by the way. No, no. <laughs> um, no, I thought he was perfectly good. Uh, I think Sanchez bloody turned that game when he came he on. He really did. Um, I kind of half expected him to give it to Sanchez, even though I he played 25 wouldn't have been against minutes it. or so. Yeah, uh, I think the Argentine back row was very good. Yeah. Um, I think Guido Pessi played very well. Was Kramer was good. exceptional. Yeah. Um, Montage is always good. Montage like, is always good. Again, just the bigger the game, the better he plays. Yeah. Um, 
I thought, yeah, it was a, and oh. Thomas Cabelli really justifies his selection because that was perhaps the big call from an Argentine point of view. They went for Cabelli over um, yes. Bertrand, and I thought that was a very, very justified and very smart selection. Something we have to talk about actually before we wrap this up: mm. Natasha Maroney's tackle on Lewis Rizamit. Mate, yeah. After Rio Dyer makes that break, people have criticised him for not passing the ball inside, even though the guy was definitely covered, and then trying to throw the offload on the outside, which he managed to do mm. to Zamet, who didn't score. No, know? I think the, the the incorrect decision is Thomas Williams giving the ball to Zamet. Yeah. The offload to Thomas Williams, who then gives it to Zamet on the touchline. I think that's an all-or-nothing play, and Wales could have been more sure, patient. Sure, But regardless, yeah. the Tyson Maroney, Jesus Christ, that is a game-winning impact yeah. from... You know, just one of the most solid and reliable players that Argentina could ask for. We had a conversation about this last night, right? As we were walking oh through my Marseille, God, yeah. about how who had the stronger bench, and basically we went man for man through yeah. the bench. And I, I said, um, if I had a choice between Rio Dyer, a young, exciting wing who you know could produce something out of nothing, but is still a bit rough around the edge, still a bit green. Or Matthias Moroni, a man who's been leading defensive lines and making huge tackles and organising and playing in three positions. Three positions, understands them all brilliantly. Yeah. For 10 years, has been leading defensive lines at international level for for 10 years. I would take Moroni 10 times out of 10. And yeah. that's no shade on Dyer as a player. Oh, he's fantastic. I just think like Moroni will produce you a moment of defence that could win you a game. Or could and he did. Pre- prevent you losing a game. Yeah. yeah. He, that, was a, that was a match-winning moment. And uh, honestly, like... From them doing that, if Zamet got that ball down, Wales maybe would have deserved to win the yeah. game. But because Moroni managed to shove him into touch and just conclusively deny that try, that was just an unreal moment from him. Absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, Argentina, right? Yeah. They um, again. I think the we'll talk another time about their chances against New Zealand and how mm. the semi final is going to go. But again, the bloody mindedness and just. I think just their emotional intelligence of how they managed yeah. to dismantle Wales. Not something expected from Michael Checker team. No, it's not. It's not. But it's what he's got out of them. Yeah. Which is so unexpected. Yeah. And it's probably why they're punching so far above their weight, you know? Uh, no, that sounds patronising to say that. But you know what I mean? I know what It's you why mean. they're being so successful, yeah. you know? For after losing that England game, people maybe would have thought they'll either go out in the groups or the quarterfinals, right? But. Yeah, they've been excellent and they were excellent today. And if they carry on like that, they could do very well for themselves and deserve to do very well for themselves. They're a fantastic team. They're a joy to watch, just not when they're beating my team and knocking them out of the World Cup. Yeah. And I also like, I do think they've got beating the All Blacks in them. They do. I wouldn't say it's likely, but I think it's absolutely in them. I think there's a world in which we have a repeat of the Football World Cup final from the other year. Like, in which that'll be the first time it's ever happened where the Football and Rugby World Cup final are the same. Yeah. You know, for France versus Argentina. That'd be hilarious. It'd be really, really interesting. You're right. Like, obviously, the All Blacks rightfully enter that game as favourites. They enter that game expecting to win it, but it is not a foregone conclusion. No. No, not at all. Really, really interesting game. Um, I do want to, because I think there's going to be far more Welsh people listening than Argentines. Sure. Uh, pick up on Wales a bit okay. and where Wales go from here. Seeing as it's the last time we'll see of them, you know, in lieu of a leaving party, because I think this Welsh team is weird because they've both matched expectations and and some ways exceeded them and in mm. some ways fallen short. It's really hard to quantify. Um, when asked, Gatlin basically said a lot of people wrote us off and said we wouldn't get out of the group. Um and you know, just talk about how hard the players have grown, have worked, and how much they've grown as a team. And I think that's very much the case. I think, in some ways, this was the first campaign 
of a with a very extended warm-up period including the six nations of a brand new welsh team i think gatlin's rebuilt this team entirely um i think here's the big question do you think wales would have been better worse or the same with wayne pivak in charge <laughs> worse yeah yeah. <laughs> what kind of question is that? No, okay. I think Wales would have lost at least one of those pool games. I think Wales might. Have, I think Wales would have sneaked at the group of second seed with Wayne Pivak in charge. Yeah. Um. But I think with Gatland, they marched <laughs> beaten England in the quarters. That's the thing, isn't it? Um. I were. Yeah. I don't know. But I'm glad we don't. I said this out. a few times. Like, I kept thinking during the week. I wish we had England instead. Yeah. I think yeah. we would have beaten England. I don't know. I don't Who know. I don't knows? get hypothetical there. But I've got too hypothetical already. Um, but I think there's a really strong core of Welsh players here that they can work on, um, that they can build something with. Um, I Obviously, the big question mark is the 10 jersey. Mm. I said this earlier, but I feel like if we had three players of Sam Costello standing, I'd be pretty confident in it. Instead, I feel like we've just got Sam Costello. We've got Dan Edwards, who's a very good young 10, but he's 20 years old. He hasn't, hasn't played regional rugby Yeah, he, he hasn't played yeah. again for the Ospreys. Well, he played a friendly for the Ospreys for the first time oh, okay. the other week. Like, <laughs> like what we so do for that. He, yeah. yeah, exactly. He played 60 minutes in a pre-season friendly against the Dragons, yeah. which the Ospreys lost by a point. Okay. Um, but, you know, that's it. So yeah. it's not like we've got a flowing stack there. Um, Anscombe's going to be unavailable. Uh, I mean, so Gatlin did address this in the press conference again. Um, just said that yeah probably for us we won't have Gareth Hanscom available we're excited in terms of the young kid coming through in terms of Sam Costello we feel he's going to be a little bit special going forward we feel he's got a lot of growth in his game Um, and yeah you kind of question that one position because it is the very much thing to obsess on the 10 jersey sure but I feel the rest of the team's in a pretty decent state um, obviously Liam Williams is also moving on after this World Cup he's going to Japan he's going to be unavailable he may be available for the summer tour afterwards but I feel like we may just be moving on from him and I off. think it's probably about time so I think this could well be Liam Williams's last game for Wales as well yeah and the thing is none of them have got caps yet well Kai Evans has got a cap yet and he's decent he's alright you know he's fine um, but we've got a trio of really promising young fullbacks in Cam Winnett Jacob Beetham and Jesson Hopkins uh, two of which are Cardiff one at the Ospreys I think they're all really good, really talented young fullbacks. And I can see one of them kicking on and taking that. It's the same situation I was saying you know, it would be nice with the 10s. Because um, otherwise, I feel like Wales are in a decent place to kick on and do something and potentially build towards the following World Cup and hope to win a Six Nations somewhere along the line and you know do more with this group of players. Because I do think there's a group that can do something special if they can be kept together. And um, I think Gatlin should stay. Gatlin's the he's right the person to yeah. build a culture and lead something around it. And I think he has shown that in the World Cup. You know, he's made Wales overperform, and he's let Welsh fans dream. Yeah, and maybe that's stupid and naive of us to do so because we went out in the quarterfinals. Yeah, but you know what? I am proud of that, and I'm proud of the fact that we've come out to France to follow them round and watch them play all over the country. Because you, you know, I can I've confessed this to you probably in the summer. Um, and after the Six Nations and stuff, and I can now confess it publicly, <laughs> there was a part of me that was like, oh, the Wales men's team, just like, I'm not that passionate about them mm. at the moment, because, because of the PVAC era, yeah. like, it just didn't do it for me. Um, and then Gatland has Gatlanded it, and made yeah. me go, oh no, I like the identity of this team, yeah. I like the team, because 
you know, I've fallen in love with the Welsh national men's rugby team because of the way Warren Gatland makes them play yeah. and the players he's brought out, the personalities he's brought out and the people he's developed and so on. And Warren Gatland himself, you know, all of that. And that really got me back up, especially mm. after that England game in the warm-up. And I was like, yeah. oh no, I love this team. This yeah. is great. And like, you know, with each game in the World Cup, I have rethought that and that's grown and grown and grown. And I hate to sound like a broken record. It's the hope that kills you. Yeah. And the, uh, I had this kind of crushing feeling of like, shit, it's another two years before I can see Wales play in a World Cup. Mm. And it's another four years before I can see the Wales men's team play in another World Cup. And it's a fair bit of waiting but to do. I'm also genuinely quite excited to see them play in the Six Nations. Yeah. Where I wasn't this... Like, I mean, oh no, I was when, when Gatlin came back in. Yeah. Because it was Warren Gatlin again. I kind of don't care but right now because we're just the, out of the World Cup. But that's the thing. The last few... This is set in over the last like, hour or so for me. Yeah. The... Pre, since the second quarterfinal, when I've had like, which gave me a bit of forced distance because yeah, you, yeah, you stopped yeah. and thought something You've else for a while. You've got to move on, yeah. yeah. Um, but sports the, cruel, man. Sports cruel. But obviously, I was excited to see Warren Gatlin come back last year. But the previous few Six Nations, you've kind of been like, oh, okay, fine, we'll yeah. do this then. We'll watch this bunch <laughs> of pricks. But I'm genuinely excited to see what Wales do in the next Six Nations. I'm genuinely excited to see how this team can build and where they can go because I think it's a really interesting group to, to build with and they can definitely create something of that kind of like a second gen of the Sam Warburton Lee Halfpenny Dan Lydiot Toby generation Jonathan Davis yeah, yeah. Um, and the other thing is right I'm going to read you Gatlin's one last Gatlin quote if that's okay okay because I think this is the big one um, the question was there's a break clause in your contract are you committed to this project Gatlin said are you sure you don't mean to ask Eddie Jones that question <laughs> I'm not actually too sure what's in my contract. I think there's a break clause from the union, but I'm not sure what the actual wording is. I haven't read it. Brilliant. Uh, then he said, would you like to lead this group moving forward? He said, absolutely. If the union wants to get rid of me, they're entirely entitled to do that. That's up to them, however. Okay. Gatlin wants to stay. I want to, I want Gatlin to stay. It wouldn't be the same without him. Don't no. let him go. It wasn't the same without him. No. It was shit without him. And I think they'll want him to stay. I think yeah. they want to keep him and have him rebuild this team. Everybody's so much more engaged with the Welsh national yeah. men's team. Just the cheer Warren yeah. Gatlin gets every every, before every game. Yeah, the, and we don't have to be performing well for him to get that. Whenever, you know? When I watched it back, each time I watched it back, the cheer Warren Gatlin got when he came on screen in that Australia game does not come across on television. Congratulations on watching that back. Um, the Australia game. Be, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, well, I don't, oh, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Shit, Otherwise, Bill Bowen will burn. Oh, no, he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Oh, God. Uh, so, uh, we're not. We're not. Uh, give me a minute. I'm not decent. Hello. 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 Um, sorry. Are, okay, are just put my trousers back on. Respect um, we'll put your trousers on. Oh, what? Oh, yeah, my trousers are right. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Bill. We're doing a podcast. We, we need to respect the rugby by being natural. Sorry. Um, sorry, Bill. Okay. Okay. Sorry. If you got it. Okay. I'll open the that door. That wasn't very disciplined. No, okay, Bill, no, please come in. Please come, 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 come in, Bill. Sit. That was the sound of Bill Beaumont sitting down. Yeah, no, I think we got that. Good folding. That, that, that wasn't very disciplined to not have your trousers on. No, I just wanted to respect the game properly by being natural and Respect? Flowing. Okay, that's really yes. good. I like that, that you're showing one of the five rugby values. Yes. Um, what are the other three that I've not mentioned? Could you tell me? There are three. There are four, Bill. The, there's five. Respect? Yeah, we already mentioned that one. Oh, sorry, that wasn't very respectful of me. <laughs> 
<laughs> a slimy flew off the handle at you there. Discipline. Uh, yes, that that's one of teamwork the... or camaraderie. Yes, I like the word camaraderie. We have it down as teamwork in our acronym, but uh, I think camaraderie is a much better. I think it separates the gentlemen from the hooligans. Mm. 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 Uh, passion. That is that is not one of them. Grapefruit. But I do think passion is very important in rugby. Yes, it's one of the great features of our great game, I believe. I would agree with you. I believe so. Um, Integrity. Uh, No. It is. That's one of World Rugby's official values. I was one of World Rugby. Sorry, I was talking about the RFUs. Oh, sorry. Wait a minute, you said we. You're World Rugby, Bill. Uh, I forgot. Rugby's official values, Bill, as I'm sure you know. I know everything about values. Integrity, passion... Solidarity, discipline, and respect. Okay, fair enough. I was thinking of teamwork, respect, enjoyment, discipline, and sportsmanship. Enjoyment? Yes, that's one of the RFU's official values. It genuinely is. However, Bill, before you go, before you leave us, um, which I'm sure you're going to do soon because you're so old. I am very, very old, and I must leave soon. Um, Can I ask you two questions? It depends if I'm still alive by the time you finish the second one. one. Is it okay if I watch the rugby tomorrow? No, no. Uh, you, it's, pri- it's a private no, sport, yeah. and we must keep the um, the uh, uh, dignity of the game for the wonderful gentlemen um, of the uh, the richer variety who want to watch our game and safeguard it from the dangers posed by the ruffians who want to get involved in rugby. Okay, no, I appreciate that, Bill. Um, and my one other question for you is. How old are you? I that question will take me a long time. Let me just try and remember how old I am. I think I am eighty-one thousand and. What's your favourite value? Well, to pick my favourite rugby value would be like picking between my children because they are my children. I have also have a child called Josh. Yeah, your favourite child's Josh, though, isn't him. it? Your favourite child's Josh. I have written in my uh, Twitter profile that I'm a proud rugby father. If he didn't go on to play rugby or be a professional rugby player, I would not be <laughs> proud of him. But my true f- proudest sons are the rugby values, and I'm so, so proud of them because I invented them. I invented the concept of respect because it doesn't exist outside of rugby, our great game. Can I read you? Just, Bill, you can go away now. Oh, uh, can I go away now? Yes, please. Okay. Will, you've been very quiet. <laughs> we can't have two Williams in the room, can Mate, we? It's got to be Will and Bill. Yeah, yeah. The flower pot my, surname, my middle name isn't Blackledge, so <laughs> I feel intimidated Jesus. by him. Um, can I just read you a bit from... Because I've got up World Rugby's official values, right? <laughs> Jesus, okay. Integrity. This is their definition for integrity. Okay. Integrity is central to the fabric of the game. Oh, piss off. And generated through two things. What do you think integrity is generated through? Uh, I don't know. Um, spirit and um, cock. <laughs> Honesty and fair play. So you're pretty close. It's 10 to 2 in the morning. Jesus Christ. Wales went out the fucking World Cup. Give me a break. Um, uh, for integrity, out of five, how well does Argentina do that? Oh, God, like one? I don't know. Okay, next. Look, value. I don't feel like they did generate honesty and fair play through the fabric of the uh, game or whatever. Look, what we're doing here is proving that it would rugby is so, full of idiots. So, passion. Putting this in. Uh, passion. Rugby. <laughs> <laughs> no. I can't get to the second word of this. <laughs> 
rugby people okay, rugby have people. a passionate enthusiasm for the game. Only rugby people, Only though. Rugby people. That is true, though. Yeah. That is true, because they don't broadcast it to they're anyone called, else. They're called, they're called rugby people. Rugby of course people. they do. Um, how did Argentina do out of five on passion? Oh, mate. Five. 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 Rugby generates excitement, emotional attachment, and a sense of belonging to a global rugby family. Shut up. Shut up. Solidarity. Okay. Uh, rugby provides a unifying spirit that it's all of this like presumptive bollocks like so, it can yeah it, can. Does. it doesn't have like, to is the thing rugby provides a unifying spirit that leads to lifelong friendships camaraderie that doesn't and mean anything I haven't spoken to anyone I've ever played rugby <laughs> no. with in 10 years like and that's not through my <laughs> like you wouldn't have spoken to him in the first place if you weren't yeah. trying to like play rugby um, okay, so and I want to add the last bit and a loyalty that transcends culture, geography, politics, <laughs> and religious differences. Oh my god, piss off! It um, transcends out of five for Argentina politics. Rugby transcends politics, according to Bill Beaumont. Out of five, I guess like four. Okay, they did all right for that. Yeah, fair. like I believe, I believe that at least one of those Argentine players will speak to another one of those Argentine players after they've retired. Yeah, fair. And fair. therefore, it's solidarity. Yeah. Classism is what it means. <laughs> What's the last one? There's two more. Oh, Discipline. Fuck. Okay. Discipline is an integral part of the game, both on and off the field. <laughs> and oh, reflected... Off the field. Uh, pe- penalty. <laughs> he didn't sweep the sheds last week. <laughs> I'm going to award a desperate penalty for everything that's happened on Twitter. Um, and it's reflected through the adherence to the laws, the regulations, and rugby's core values. Oh, piss off. Uh, out of five for Argentina. Three. Three. Fair. I think that's fair? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and last of all, respect. Yeah. Respect for teammates, opponents, match officials, and those involved in the game is paramount. Bear in mind, all the others are like, yes, this naturally happens with play rugby. Respect, like, no, you must respect us. You must do. You must respect match officials. You must respect teammates. You must respect your opponents. You must do it. The others, it will just happen naturally. You play rugby. That one won't. You won't respect anything. You'll have no respect left for this stupid game if you're involved with it enough for long enough. Out of five for Argentina? Oh, God, like 16. I don't know. Okay, fair enough. No. They're, they're off the scales. Or minus, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Look. We've been I, doing this too long. Yeah, I give it a bloody Pablo Matera out of... Because it's not respect. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, I think we should leave that. Yeah, there. I think we've um, gone on too long. Well done, Argentina. That was brilliant to see, even though I support Wales, but they bloody deserve to win that. And yeah. fair play to them. Yeah. Um, really hurt the time. Kind yeah. of coming over and as I say, like a level of excitement building in. Um, and glad for that, and excited for there to be more respect, integrity, discipline, passion, and teamwork coming up. Yeah. Well, thank people for listening. Thank rugby people for thank listening. Thank rugby people for listening. Marseille is still Christ. a shithole. Marseille's awful. I hate it so much here. I can't wait to get out, but I've got to watch England win tomorrow, oh, and then I get to leave Marseille. What a horrible weekend. Let's stop talking about rugby. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.